Hi, I'm Rob Jepson, and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth in the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team, we showcase sales leaders that are taking what the market gives and then some. We feature leaders and teams that are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and doing it predictably and sustainably. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Exvoyant, the one-on-one sales improvement platform that's transforming how high-growth sales leaders use Salesforce around the world. If your one-on-ones aren't the most strategic and impactful part of your go-to-market, check out Exvoyant today. The Exvoyant team will show you how to use Salesforce as a system of impact, improvement, and performance by creating one-on-ones that both ignite and inspire. If you don't have a plan on how you can help every single rep on your team improve by at least 10%, Exvoyant can help you grow faster than you ever thought possible. Now, get ready for some serious insights from sales leaders that are making it happen. And remember, don't worry, we got you. Hello and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where every week we bring you the world's most successful sales leaders and dig into what they do to take what the market gives and then some. I'm Rob Jepson, and at Exvoyant, we work with sales leaders in 19 countries around the world, helping them make the one-on-ones they conduct with their reps their most important, most predictive, and most strategic part of their go-to-market plans. Volume 1 of our greatest hits was our most downloaded episode to date. We identified five building blocks of the world's highest performing sales teams. These elements included culture, vision, systems, teaching, and engagement. The response from each of you has been amazing. Today, we bring you the second half of our leaders. They hit the same five building blocks, and once again, these leaders come from diverse industries, different stages of company growth, and from different company sizes. The one thing they all have in common They are led by leaders that live by my favorite three words, and then some. These leaders do what the company expects, and then some. They provide what the reps need, and then some. They help create a killer customer experience, and then some. Our mission is to help you have as many, and then some, days, weeks, months, quarters, and years as you want. Now, speaking with every one of these leaders fires me up. I get totally fired up every time I talk to them. Going back and re-listening to these conversations fires me up all over again. This is another episode I hope causes you to pause and rethink how you're engineering your team and creating and then some moments. This episode features an amazing cast of 11 leaders and companies. Here they are. Haley Katzman, Vice President of Account Development, Enablement, and Growth for Highspot. Kyle Norton, Vice President of Sales for League. Brad Jensen, Vice President of Sales for Motivocity. Sean Murray, Chief Revenue Officer for SalesLoft. Jeff Spencer, Senior Director of Sales Operations and Marketing for Waste Management. Matt Millen, Senior Vice President of Revenue for Outreach. Ryan Levitt, Head of Growth and Strategy for Showpad. Dan Cook, Senior Vice President of Sales and Customer Success for Lucidchart. Michael Barton, Vice President and General Manager of Global Commercial for Avery Dennison. Cody Laymans, Head of Sales for Tiny Pulse. And Doug Landis, Growth Partner for Emergence Capital. That's a lot of interviews with some really smart leaders. 
And the fact that they all gravitate to five non-negotiables means these are things you should absolutely pay attention to. I hope this episode inspires you as much as it did me. I hope you go back and listen to these interviews again and implement some of the best practices to your leadership approach. Every one of these original episodes is packed with pure gold. This version of Greatest Hits is designed to give you some of the best sound bites and have you go back to the original interviews so you can go find ways to make sure that in 2019 you take what the market gives and then some. I hope you enjoy the Sales Leadership Podcast Greatest Hits, Volume 2. All right. Secrets of the world's greatest sales leaders. Number one, commitment to culture. In Volume 1, the culture section was easily the longest. Every single leader we interviewed had so much to say about culture. It always started with culture with every one of them. In fact, we introduced nine elements that build a killer culture. These 11 leaders that we have in this episode, Volume 2, they're no different. And most of the original nine episodes, uh, most of the original nine, excuse me, attributes showed up again with these leaders. Now, I'm not going to rehash all nine of them, but there are five new ones that we're going to add. So I want to keep in mind that the high growth leaders understand that their job is to create an environment where the motivated can succeed. In addition to the nine elements that we've already identified, here are five other ways that high growth leaders make their culture killer and make an environment where their motivated people can succeed. Number one, the very first one is a customer first mentality. Sean Murray, Chief Revenue Officer for Sales Loft, shared how this is a defining characteristic of the entire Sales Loft culture. There probably are very few companies on the planet that if you go into their headquarters and you walk into their, uh, you know, their lobby uh, and there's some stuff about customers on their wall. And that's, that, that's the right thing, right? Um, however, taking that to a whole different level and true meaning is what's critical. And that's something that we are obsessed with is making sure that we are helping our customers win. Ryan Levitt. Former Chief Revenue Officer for LearnCore and current Head of Growth Strategy for Showpad, he shared the importance of this cultural mindset when he shared this. If everybody is really focused on creating a great experience for our customers and making them love us, that, that becomes a moat, right? That, that, is a, that is a defensible moat around your company. When you have customers, we call them raving fans, as you know, that and we'd say love the product, right? Are really successful at achieving their goals and love the people at, at our company, right? If you could, if we could successfully achieve all three of those, then that's the holy grail with the customer because they're, they're customers for life then and they're referral sources. And, um, at the end of the day, they, that those are, that's the heart of the organization. Doug Landis of Emergence Capital shared another reason why customer first is so important. When we really get our customers, and I mean really, really get them, we start to understand them and we don't just turn them into raving fans and we don't just respond to their needs. We actually start to speak in their voice. How do we actually start to infuse the voice of our customers into articulating who we are and what we do? Right. It's not it's not what we do for you internally. We're going to make you more efficient, make you more productive, whatever that means. It's like, no, what are we doing 
for your relationship with your customers? How are we making your customers like you more? This is so, so, so important. Great sales leaders understand the need of having the CX approach be well-defined and in place prior to trying to scale the sales process. This is an important way to make sure that customer-first mentality is more than just talk. You know, you're a series A company, you're a startup. The first thing that you should do is go out and hire customer success folks. Don't hire salespeople, hire customer success. Think like, what? That's so, that's so opposite of what I considered. But you as the founder and CEO, you're the first seller. They're like, Rob, it's what you do at Exmoy. You're out there pounding the, pounding the streets, selling your product. Yes, and you're sir. winning those early stage customers. And so guess what? You need somebody and, or a team of people there that's going to make them wildly successful wildly successful because then you can use them to help reference sell. You can use them to help learn about how to position your product, how to retool your message, what value they're really getting out of the product. That takes us to number two. The second cultural element is one that's a game changer. Haley Katzman, vice president of all things customer related for Highspot, shared that they found that self-awareness is one of the most important attributes for their salespeople to have. It's actually something that we look for when promoting, like how self-aware is the person. Because what you'll see is that the people that are self-aware, they will grow at a much faster rate. They will develop at a much faster rate than others. And it is a completely different coaching style that you have to have for someone who is aware of their weaknesses and strengths and someone that is not. And so I would say not only is it critical to use that approach with coaching, but it's also critical to be able to determine which of the people on the team do have the ability to self-assess or have that self-awareness because you have to take a completely different approach with those two two people. The more each member of a team is self-aware, the more effective a leader can be in helping each one improve individually. That takes us to number three. And the third cultural attribute is one of my favorites. This one's called mission mentality. And high-growth teams adopt mission mentality in ways other ones just don't. Matt Millen, Senior Vice President of Revenue for Outreach, shared exactly why this is crucial if you want your team to stay in high growth mode. You know, not everybody gets mission at the same level. In fact, I've found that there's like three levels of people that you'll find on your team if you allow it to happen. Uh, some people join your team for a job. Yep. Uh, I do not want any of them in my organization <laughs> because the minute the job gets hard, they find something easier, right? They're not committed at any level. Uh, the second level, though, is there are like career professionals. There are people that join your team as an SDR, an AE, whatever it may be, a leader, uh, and they're a career leader, they're a career whatever, uh, and they'll take more bumps and bruises before they get frustrated. But at the end of the day, like they're not necessarily associated to what's going on, but they're a professional. But there's like one level greater where they're professional, but they really associate and resonate with what you're doing as an organization. Like they win for the cause, they win for the team, and they'll win for themselves last. But like they, they win, whether you volunteer for your, your church or you volunteer for a school. I mean, you're, you're, you believe in that cause and you do things you wouldn't normally do in other areas of your life. You know, work should be no different. Now, here's why it's so easy to do that, Rob. Like, if you look around the room that you're in, everything in that room was sold by somebody to someone, including the air you breathe through the HVAC system. Having a consistent mission mentality drives each rep to conduct more purpose-driven activities. 
In sales, activities drive our outcomes. Not just how many activities we do, but how well we do them. Michael Barton, Vice President and General Manager at Avery Dennison, shared how this was so crucial to the transformation he and his team engineered. We had two main issues. One I mentioned was just kind of the, the lumpiness of their business is you just, the boat would float with the tide and it's just unacceptable when you're trying to drive a, uh, a New York Stock Exchange company. You have to have predictability. Um, you have to have certainty in what you're delivering. You have to know the facts. Michael's transformation story is one of the best you'll ever hear and I encourage you to go back and give it a listen. Purpose-driven activities create predictable, repeatable results, and it's the only way we can expect to take more than the market will give. Finally, mission mentality helps us engage with passion. That's the one thing that came through from this group over and over again. For these high-growth leaders, their authentic passion for what they do was undeniable. Matt Millen is one of my favorite examples of this. Don't cut yourself short. Do your passion, whatever it is. Do your passion. And when you have that behind you, you will tell your story with more energy and conviction. You will hit the activity with a level of zeal and energy that you didn't realize you had. And when it comes to mindset, it's like nothing gets in my way. Make no mistake, the mission matters to high growth teams. Number four. High-growth teams have collaborative environments. This fourth cultural element was the primary focus of my interview with Ryan Levitt. Ryan attributes much of what drives their growth to a team of connected professionals collaborating together. He's found that this helps people grow, develop, and succeed much faster than a more linear approach ever could. I think it's trying to listen to what everybody's strengths are and where they're succeeding and what their weaknesses are. And What, what, what I've always tried to do is... Um, and there's an element of recognition that goes along with this too, but is to figure out what people are doing really well and ask them to share it with the other members of the team, right? If someone writes a great email differentiating uh, us from one of our competitors, okay, let's share that with the rest of the team. Let's make sure everybody knows about that, right? Or if someone receives a, is, is in an interesting deal or receives a question from a customer um, that they don't know the answer, rather than giving them the answer, is to say like, hey, go talk to this person over here because they just went through the same exact thing and they and they crushed it, right? So it's it's listening to what people are doing well and then paying attention to that so that you can I can facilitate some of that that interaction and collaboration, um, and then it's just important to 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 keep the knowledge and and be able to share it in a way that isn't just um, one person delivering it, right? Everybody is a content creator. Everybody's a subject matter expert in something. And so deliberately figuring out what those areas are and asking people to help out and be the leader with specific items. Um, that, that's been one, it's, it, it's, it helps you scale in the early days, but also it, uh, it, it, it continues to engage everybody with, with the goal and, and, um, what the team is working on. Jeff Spencer of the Waste Management Corporation found that collaboration is important at every part of the organization. Reps collaborating with reps, managers collaborating with their reps, and managers collaborating with managers and people of other teams. A skilled manager understands how to create this productivity accelerator in ways that average ones never tap into. Then at the same time, there's obviously there's got to be enough flexibility back and forth sort of collaboration between the leadership and the field sales management teams 
um, to number one, to trust each other first and foremost. And, and part of that trust factor is ensuring that we're listening to each other and that we're, we're flexing, if you will, um, as we go through the process and we decide, you know, what are the things that are critical, that are mission critical to the transformation and to what we want as an outcome? And what are the things that, you know, could ultimately be sacrificed a little bit because they're just not. Um, I think I used the phrase multiple times throughout the process for us is sometimes you have to flex your muscles and sometimes you have to flex your initiative. While collaboration will pour gas on the fire of individual success and really do big things for team productivity, the ultimate reason why teams need to collaborate is so multi-departmental teams can create what Ryan refers to as raving fans. And so what ends up happening is that you you have these raving fans and they're raving fans because you have great people, right? And you have a great product and they're successful. And then what happens is they make referrals and they grow the business and they help improve the product and they help us understand like what our strengths and our weaknesses are so we can continue to improve. And so that, that, that actually touches every piece of the organization, right? That's customer success, that's product, that's operations, that's the sales team and everybody's elevated because we're making the customers so successful. Um, and so I think in and of itself, that is collaboration. If everybody understands that that's the ultimate goal, we're all going to do whatever we can to make sure that we are creating these raving fans. This takes us to the fifth and final additional element. This fifth cultural element from these leaders is really simple. It's leaders that listen. Cody Lehman's runs sales at Tiny Pulse, and he shared with me just how important this is to maintaining a high-growth environment. And then, and then from there, it's about just taking that feedback you're getting and deciding, what does this mean for the business? What does it mean for the individuals? And what, yeah. does it, what action does it drive? And it's when you can take that action that employers are like, wow, when, when I share this honest, raw feedback with my leadership team, they listen. And when they listen, they take action. And when they take action, my life at this company improves. That's how you start to get engagement, and that's how you start to build culture. When your teammates know they can speak openly without fear of retribution, and more importantly, have a genuine belief that not only do the leaders listen, but they want to hear from them, companies tap into the best each rep has to offer. So ask yourself right now, when was the last time your reps really came to you with suggestions or really came to you asking for help? Sean Murray pointed out that this is really the only way we as leaders can really, really know if we're valuable or not. What kinds of questions are they asking us? One indicator that I know that if I am helping or if I'm adding value to the organization is when people come to me with questions. Oh. I know that sounds simple, but if for your listeners, if people aren't coming to you, you're not adding value. And so while it's very hard to balance time, and time management is a massive skill to develop when you're in these roles. Uh, however, that's a great indicator to know that if you are adding value, if you're helping, is that if people are coming to you <laughs> for help. That's how, that's how you know. Secrets of the world's greatest sales leaders, number two, they create vision. All right, the most successful leaders get their salespeople to buy into the fact that the company is trying to do something big. This bigness creates meaning. And this is the vision that fuels mission mentality. Kyle Norton identified vision as a key to inspiring both the members of his team and their customer base. Our ability to help those we work with think big is a huge catalyst for success. You have to get people excited about something that they probably don't want to talk about. They would be just as happy to do what's happened for the last 
10, 15, 20 years in, in the benefits and HR space. And so we have to be, you know, great evangelizers and get people excited about a new vision. And part of that's that challenger mentality. Part of that is, is, uh, creating this aspirational, uh, vision of, of a better way. Size matters is a true statement and has never been more true than it is for vision. Solve big problems, achieve big results. This helps you raise the eyebrows of your prospect customers, and it helps fuel the passion of each member of your team. But we've got to do more than think big and talk big. We have to give our team reason to believe. Michael Barton led a massive transformation at Avery Dennison and involved team members in a way that they didn't just buy the vision, they bought in, all in. And I think it was that moment where a very simple idea, concept, was brought out, and then the team rallied around proving out how we would actually execute it. Awesome. I think um, I think that was the reason why people had the faith and said we can do this. And then you know we just we we built it out. And I think the other thing is you know we didn't just jump off the edge of the cliff. We piloted, um, we worked through it number uh, very and, and and made sure we were going to be able to replicate it. And the other piece is we invested significant money into the change um, and people could visibly see that the company just wasn't saying go do something different we were investing to create a new dynamic listen talk is cheap and your reps are smart more important change scares people sometimes let's be honest so building a well-lit pathway and showing commitment by allocating resources is critical great leaders make well-thought plans and then execute assertively to make the vision happen Finally, the great leaders are always looking into the future. If we aren't adapting, we'll get passed up. Haley Katzman pointed out that she uses up to 20% of her time making sure new strategies, new messaging, new enhancements are always being tested so they have the vision in place to keep them in the leadership position in their space. But you should always be, you know, A-B testing yourself and your overall go-to-market strategy. And I think that that's something that's really important. So you might say, you know, hey, I think that this is always going to be our buyer, but you should always be spending probably 10 to 20% of the time testing out other strategies and other tactics because you don't know if there's just something that you could be completely missing, especially when you really get into the weeds of it. It becomes a lot easier to, you know, kind of get that tunnel vision and you really want to be able to always you know, methodically step out of that and make sure that you aren't missing anything. When a team buys into the vision of a leader, adopts the mission mentality, and believes they are doing things that will keep them in front, they get the secret weapon, mindset. Matt Millen shares why mindset is the unfair advantage in business and why vision is so important to ongoing success. What separates the rep that has a bad call goes into a funk for three hours versus the rep that has a bad call, picks themselves up in a nanosecond, resilient as all heck, and makes the next call like the last call was a winner versus the rep that has a bad call, thinks about it for one minute and realizes they didn't serve their prospect, gets back on the phone and asks for a second chance. It's got to be mindset, right? Mindset, my friend. Yeah, got to be mindset. The unfair competitive advantage. Secrets of the world's greatest sales leaders, point number three, they develop systems. If volume one of our greatest hits was heavy on culture, volume two really dives into systems and coaching. 
Our leaders are passionate about creating more than process. They really discuss the importance of creating systems where reps can thrive. There are a few lenses that brought systems into clearer focus with each of these leaders. Brad Jensen of Motivocity has learned that finding ways to change the story creates nearly immediate interest from customers. Everybody's selling something, but what is it about that story that makes a customer's story better? And if you can make, if you can disrupt the way that people think about your solution, uh, you're going to definitely change the story that they're telling. Brad's found that the best way to change the story is to change who is telling the story. Brad's fueled meaningful growth at Motivocity by building a system to help customers speak to the market as as evangelical ambassadors. Excuse me. This has created referrals and inbound leads that have thrown gas on a fire that is already burning. Because uh, the, the user experience is so incredible for our customers, they tell a good story. So first and foremost, you know, you, you hear, hey, go, go pick up some low-hanging fruit. It's like, man, there's fruit laying on the ground if we can just leverage our relationship with, with our wins. So we, we try to uh, do a great job of engaging with our customers and having them introduce us to uh, vendors, customers, partners of theirs that uh, they feel, well, would, would like to share the same experience. And, and that's led to some early successes for us. It's amazing. You know, everybody knows somebody. And so we, we, can, we can go down the traditional path of, of prospecting, which we are, um, but definitely leveraging our, our wins is something I don't think you can overemphasize. Um, done a lot of work on helping companies leverage the, the, the power of referrals. Work, you know, the, 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 the influence we'll have through their circles of influence is incredible. And I think we've done a good job of, of tapping into that. Um, we'll continue to do so. Brad talks about transforming customers into evangelists. Everyone loves this idea, but here's the question. Have you put together a system to help it happen regularly? Are you engineering inflection points in the CX journey where you create natural moments to find ways to share the experience you know your customer is loving? Find out if they love the experience and make it easy for them to speak on your behalf. Okay, high-growth leaders are careful to create other systems as well. One of the ones Kyle Norton talked to me about is a system that helps him keep close to his customers. He believes this is one of the most important systems that they maintain. Additionally, one of the most important things that we did in 2017 to to make a fairly big step function change is my head of sales enablement and uh, somebody from our marketing team, they went out and interviewed uh, almost 30 buyers that we had pitched gotten to late stage that we lost deals with. And so they talked about our positioning, the product, uh, how, how clearly do they remember the messaging? Why didn't they buy? What was the sales, what was the sales approach like? And we learned a whole bunch. We validated some assumptions. There was also some, some surprises in that process. And we're just doing now, this is about a year and a bit later. We're just doing that process over again. Kyle spent a ton of time in this interview explaining how the voice of the customer fueled key changes like messaging, product, and even ways to create impact. If you haven't become structured in how you capture your customer's experience and hear their voice, this is a key component that will add fuel to your engine. Scaling requires systems. Without systems, wins become hit and miss. Dan Cook's story at Lucidchart is one of my very favorite 
most interesting stories of how someone got into sales in the first place and then what they did to create meaningful growth. In his episode, Dan shared the systems required to scale a sales organization, and the success at Lucidchart is ridiculous. Scaling requires a diverse set of people. Some will be scaling what works, others will be scaling what comes next. Dan's first lesson on scale is to get the right people in the right part of the system. So, you know, one of the scars for me has been finding that right mix uh, and diversity in your portfolio of team members. You certainly Hmm. need process makers. You need process executors, people who can come in on the scaling side. But you also can't underinvest in having those growth hackers who are willing to go out and figure stuff out that, that other people wouldn't do. The next lesson Dan shared was to move away from tribal knowledge as soon as possible. The creation of playbooks, best practices, and specialists, rather than keeping a bunch of generalists, is a key component of any sales team that succeeds at scale. You have to very early on decide to build a foundation in two core areas. One is, of course, the onboarding, training, and enablement concept, and having someone who can be dedicated to building uh, playbooks and content uh, that, that the new reps that join can very quickly learn. Obviously, early on in businesses' growth curve, they rely a lot on tribal knowledge, and I think sometimes you rely on that too much. Unfortunately, many companies resist this specialization too long, and this stunts growth. Oftentimes, uh, as, a, as a result of trying to optimize for scale, you treat each of these segmentations that occur, these splits, you try and kind of find a lowest common denominator process, person, comp plan and KPIs to really uh, kind of fit every single person and process and, and segment. And we learned the hard way that that's just not the right way to do it. Dan shared all of the scars coming from lessons learned during the scaling process. And if you're looking to scale, my advice is go back and listen to Dan's entire episode as it is pure gold. We're in a day that just calling or emailing isn't good enough anymore. Doug Landis shared why reps have to be better now if they're going to win, period. Because at the end of the day, in order to be effective in selling, you need to bring something of value to your prospect. Long gone are the days of like, oh, hey, I want to just spend five minutes and do some discovery. No, 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 no. People don't have time for that. I don't have time for that. If you want to have a conversation with me, bring something to the table that can help me learn. Cody Lehman shared a similar perspective that salespeople have to enable the buyer rather than just chase them. Buyers hold the control today, right? Sales don't have the control anymore. Buyers have the control and that if you don't change the way you sell and if you don't find a way to get friction out of the buyer's journey and let the buyer go about it how they're going to go about it, you're just going to create so much friction that you're going to just drag yourself down. This need for a better sales experience is a really, really big deal. Sean Murray shared that the quality of the sales experience drives way more than just wins and losses. Sean dropped a huge bomb to start his interview with me when he talked about the impact of sales and the impact of the sales experience on customer loyalty. And what we've observed is that, uh, and you mentioned CB earlier, it's where I really started my career, is that 53% of customer loyalty is measured today on the sales experience. Can you say that again? 53%? 53% of customer loyalty is measured on today's sales experience. And customer loyalty defined as your customer's ability to reference uh, you to uh, to a colleague. 
With 53% of customer loyalty coming from the sales experience, providing a killer experience has never been more important. With the importance of better sales experience, and I'm doing air quotes, better sales experience, has led to a movement of creating sales playbooks. Playbooks require at least two systems if you're going to do it right. The first is a system to create the right set of experiences. The second is a way to operationalize the playbook. Okay. Now, Doug talked about as important as the playbook is, the far more important, far more challenging part is operationalizing it. It's a big challenge, and it's not easy to do. There's very few systems around to help you do it. Doug spent a ton of time talking about playbooks, how to make them, and what makes them work. If you have questions about playbooks, go listen to Doug's episode now, right now. He offered a word of caution as you develop your playbooks. So many people get caught up in this idea of methodology. We need to go build a methodology. We need to go get a methodology. We need Finn. We need, we need Miller Hyman. We need, you know, we need whatever it is. There's so many methodologies out there. Challengers that we want to institute challenger methodology into our, into our company. It's like, don't. Because a method, what does that mean? A methodology is your method for moving a prospect through, you know, kind of the process, if you will. Um, I'm sorry, but by the way, those are all very self-serving because that's not actually how your customers are buying from you. That's actually how you're forcing your customers to buy from you. Cody Layman's had a similar perspective on where to be cautious about process and how to ensure systems work for you. But, but it's about evaluating your buyer's journey, just understanding where does the friction live and how do we get that friction out of there and let buyers come in and do it the way they want to do it. Remember, losers have goals and winners have systems. Some people have told me they can't afford to stop and create the systems. The most successful leaders would tell you, you can't afford not to. Also remember, don't ever stop inventing. Cody Lehman shared an awesome story of why he chose to redesign his inbound system. As a lead would come in, it would go to a, a human SDR. That SDR would have a discovery conversation to try and qualify. Uh, it would take them a few days to even get a hold of the customer to have that conversation. And then they set up another appointment for the AE, which would be another seven days later. And then the AE would get on the call, essentially repeat the same conversation the SDR just had. And then in, in some cases, schedule a demo another seven days down the road. <laughs> okay. And I was like, this just, this just doesn't work. Like, you know, if I was a buyer, I'd be frustrated. This led to a ridiculous, ridiculous 83% improvement in win rate and an amazing improvement in cycle time. The great leaders never stop tweaking their systems. So, never stop innovating, never stop iterating, and never stop testing. Secrets of the world's greatest sales leaders, point number four. They are teachers. Every single guest on the show so far has identified coaching as one of the non-negotiables of high growth. Every single one. But nobody and I mean nobody has ever said it better than Brad Jensen does right here. The one-on-one -on -one is, the, is the biggest missed opportunity for sales leadership, period, in the history of, of all sales leadership. <laughs> sales leaders suck at it. They don't, they don't do it right. They, they miss the mark. Uh, they, they use it to go through pipeline, tell me your pipe, tell me your pipe, tell me your pipe. That's the one-on-one, -on -one, and that's, that just flat-out sucks. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's everything. You say, what's the role of it? Rob, it's everything. The biggest missed opportunity in the history of sales is strong talk, and I think Brad is spot on. Our guests had a lot of thoughts about how to make coaching meaningful. Recent studies like the one conducted by Keenan show that more than half of the reps don't think they're getting coaching at all. 
But 83% of their managers think that not only are they coaching, but they're awesome at it. Now, I don't think these leaders are lazy, and I don't think they're lying. I actually think they're doing things that they think are coaching. But most of the time, what leaders think is coaching is never seen as helpful by the salesperson. This is actually why I shared my episode, The Seven Deadly Sins of One-on-One Coaching. Anyone who thinks coaching is important ought to give it a listen. Here are a few tips to help get your one-on-ones right. Regardless of the complexity of your sales system, the first thing you need to get right is a commitment that coaching and teaching is something you define your organization with. Now, a coaching culture takes time to build. That's why you should absolutely not wait to get started. I had a client tell me last week, Rob, we should have started this months ago. And I looked at him and nodded. Jeff Spencer of Waste Management, he identified this commitment as the first thing they needed to do as they built their coaching approach. It's really just making the commitment that you're going you're gonna to get into the process, figure out what your particular recipe to sales process leads to sales success. Um, and that's putting the right folks in place, putting the technology in place. And then, as I said, I think the pro- this was the most important thing for us, without a doubt, was just creating, a, transforming a culture that believed in learning and advancing people's skills. And that's, of course, what I said before. That's a cliche these days, I understand, but coaching culture. For us, that's what it was all about. Coaching is no different than anything else. You don't have to be great to get started, but you do have to get started if you want to be great. It's important to note that being great at teaching, coaching, and developing is what the new generation of sales talent is looking for. Jeff Spencer also shared that they've won some of the best available talent because of their approach to coaching. Whereas the younger folks that we're bringing aboard these days, not only do they crave it and do they want it, which helps to attract talent, but they expect it. Um, that they, they actually hold it as a standard and a high bar within an organization is when the, when the best salespeople are selecting which company they want to go work for. If you don't bring those things to the table, those are, you know, those are table stakes for those folks to come aboard in the first place. Now, Jeff isn't just talking big. They have a culture that when they hire someone to the waste management team, they are hiring you to the last company you'll ever join. Their approach to developing people is working so well that this is exactly what's happening with Jeff's team across the board, and the results, they speak louder than I ever could. Check out their stock price, and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. Sean Murray is a self-professed coaching junkie. He told me coaching is everything. No best practices is to spend 4.2 hours a month with your direct reports, and the difference between coaching and training is coaching is a one-on-one engagement, while training is a two-or-more-on-one engagement. But coaching is everything today. Did you notice how much time he thinks a manager should spend each month with every rep individually? This is the kind of commitment it takes if you're really going to be conducting coaching that teaches and leads behavior change. Too many coaching sessions are no more than simple check-ins or superficial conversations. I love Sean's perspective on taking the long view on each individual. You're constantly thinking 12 months out. Am I up-leveling the organization to perform what 12 months is going to look like from now, right? So you don't don't think of today. You're always thinking one year out. Will this individual, will this team, will this market, will this region, will this perform for me in 12 months versus the problem that you want to solve today? Haley Katzman believes coaching should be a journey that the leader might guide, but the salesperson absolutely is the driver of. 
The idea of self-assessment and self-correction is a big part of her leadership approach. I think great coaching, a big piece of it um, is really a being on the floor and actually listening to what's going on with your team. So, you know, getting into calls with them, um, getting into their emails, getting into, um, you know, whatever the activity is that they're doing and really understand what they are, what they are doing on a daily basis. And then a big piece of coaching is really not telling them exactly what they should be doing differently, but helping them, guiding them to the point where they can identify where the coaching opportunities are. If you just kind of talk at someone, then it's not always going to be the case that they're going to listen, but you really have to explain the why and help them arrive at the answer. And then that's where I think that we see it click the most. So we really, you know, stress to have in the coaching how do we get them to understand where the weakness is and how they can improve it rather than just, you know, kind of shoving it down their throat? But if a leader wants to be an effective teacher, notice how she points out that they've got to be active, involved, and absolutely not one of those passive leaders stuck behind a desk looking at spreadsheets or dashboards. Finally, great leaders teach reps how to individually apply resource and systems like a playbook. For any sales team, a resource is only as good as your ability to operationalize it across the team. This means individual approaches for individual reps. Now, this is easier said than done. Don't be afraid to follow Dan Cook's advice on how to individualize. Yeah, well, it's funny. I was I was helping my kid with their homework the other day, and um, we couldn't figure out the answer to this math problem. And I, rem- I, it, I just told her, hey, have you ever heard of guess and check? And the idea is, of course, that you just make a guess and you figure out what the answer is and you see if it's right. And if it's not, you try again. I think, I think, I think this model very much is a guess and check model. I mean, you're never going to nail it at the beginning. And so I think the idea is, is you, you, you come out with your best hypothesis. You, you sit down with the team. You're very open about this is how we think this is going to work. And, you know, in scale mode, you know, it's like dog years. Uh, you know, every quarter is really like a year. And so I think it's really probably on the half year is the guidance that at least we've incorporated. You have to sit down and you have to review it and say, yeah. hey, is this working or do we need to do a different guess and check? Just remember to make sure you check as often as you guess. Lack of individualization is a primary reason why studies show leaders think they're coaching, but most of the time reps just think they are talking. To make sure your one-on-ones are valuable and not just talk, Dan's found one of the most important things for a one-on-one to be effective is to make sure there are no agendas other than the needs of the rep and that you don't consume all of the airtime. Actually, this is a really interesting question you're asking because I just had an experience the other day that, that was really enlightening for me. So um, first of all, I think you know human psychology and behavior, I won't pretend to be an expert on it, but certainly uh, just that data you shared has really has me thinking because the thought is, is that... A, you know, I think when, when a sales leader gets in a one-on-one or a manager gets in a one-on-one and if they consume more of the airtime, I think the rep is going to feel like it wasn't a valuable use of their time. Uh, and what I, what I mean by that is I think there's real power in the one-on-one context of focusing on inquiry and question asking versus advocacy and telling them what to do. So mm-hmm. I had just the other day, I had an experience with a, a member of our team. He's a top performer, but I could tell he was struggling with some things. And I, I ended up spending the entire one-on-one just doing discovery. I mean, it was 100% question asking. And it was fascinating because coming out of that one-on-one relative to past one-on-ones where I'm in there preaching to him about how he should be doing something, uh, <laughs> he, he, he came out and he, his, he, it was almost like burdens had been lifted from him. It was almost like he'd come out of a, a session of counseling where 
he felt like, wow, I really was able to communicate what I needed to communicate. Thank you for listening. And I, I, the valuable lesson for me was that oftentimes we might think that the one-on-one needs to be a, a time for us to communicate downward all the things we're hearing from our, you know, the CEO or the business, but maybe uh, we should overweight on getting that upward communication. How are you doing? What's on your mind? How can I help you? What are the things you're dealing with? What are your challenges? And I think that I, I imagine if that was the practice that those, those, uh, that, that poll results might change. Secrets of the world's greatest sales leaders, point number five, they are engaged. Great leaders aren't armchair quarterbacks. Great leaders aren't hiding behind dashboards and call reports. The great ones are in the game playing a role that helps the members of the team execute with confidence. Again, I'm not going to regurgitate what we heard in volume one, but here are a couple of other verses to the anthem of a great leader. I've mentioned it once already in this podcast that these leaders oozed passion and enthusiasm. You could not deny it. One of my favorite quotes is, nothing great was ever accomplished without enthusiasm. With this in mind, I love Brad Jensen's perspective on our mission as leaders. Everybody wants to win, right? A rep doesn't wake up one day and say, I want to suck today. I want to just completely suck at sales, right? No one thinks that way. But we get we get sucked into this this thinking of a deal is further along than it is, and and they get caught up in it, and that's that's really frustrating. That I mean, sales is tough. It's it's a tough industry, and it's easy to to fall victim of of self deception. And by focusing on what's real and inspecting what's real, they gain a new appreciation for what's in their control to actually advance a deal forward. And I think that's what they feel inspired by. They, they actually feel like there's something that they can control or action that they can take uh, that, that matters and that makes a difference. And that's, that, you know, that's everything in sales. Too many of us just focus on that old saying, inspect what you expect. While I agree 100% with accountability, think about this. How many of your reps woke up this morning hoping to be inspected? We need to make sure our leadership doesn't have reps going through motions or looking over their shoulders. We need to ignite, inspire, and infuse with confidence. Matt Millen shared that this is easier said than done. We need strong role clarity and understanding of the tasks we must engage in as leaders. But regardless of what we do, as leaders, we need to oscillate through these tasks and complete them in ways that make sure our reps know, we got you. And the way, the way I see it is this. Look, if you're out there driving change, you're leading. Mm. If you're making sure the work's getting done, you're managing. If it's around the quality of what's going on, you're coaching and mentoring and training. So what I do is I take a look at what are we doing at this point in time and what's needed by me, what's needed by my leadership team, what does my team need to feel supported so they know I have their back, right? Mm. So they know with confidence they can do their best work. If I've learned anything in 31 years of selling, Rob, it's a sales organization with confidence and certainty will get it done. A sales organization with uncertainty and hesitation will fail. And it's our job as leaders is to create a culture where they know we, they have our back or we have their back. We have the back of the customer. They can trust us to do the right thing, and all they have to do is worry about doing their job. Probably the most important takeaway from these leaders in regards to inspiring and creating accountabilities in ways that create confidence comes in the need to be an authentic servant for each rep. 
Kyle Norton has found that the more authentic our servant leadership, the more his team is willing to do. This approach isn't just good for business. It's just good, period. You have to create an environment where it's fun. Like You have to create an environment where it's not the cliched work hard, play hard, like we're going to grind and then just go out and drink. Yeah. I don't think that's super conducive to building high performance teams. You know, <laughs> you have to, uh, you have to, as a sales leader, uh, have that servant leadership mentality and really support your reps and fight for them and do, uh, do what you can to give them the best chance to succeed and celebrate wins, ask for teamwork and collaboration and go out of your way as a sales leader to, to, you know, get on a plane and go to a meeting with somebody, even if it's only one, you know, one meeting across the, across the country, like, you know, just do it. And if you can create that environment and you're putting in more than you're asking for, then you know, I think, I think you can create an environment where people are willing to, to put in the, put in the time. Empathy will help you connect with your reps, perhaps more than any other attribute. There are a lot of ways to show empathy, but one of the most meaningful is if your reps believe you're connected and understanding of what it takes to win in the sales job. Dan Cook pointed to this as the number one driver of his ability to lead with empathy. I felt like I really benefited from being in the trench, having to figure it out myself. You know, I think oftentimes when uh, you bring in or hire someone externally, when stuff is already uh, starting to formulate, it takes a while for that person to really get up the learning curve. And I was able to basically build the learning curve. And as a result of it, um, I felt like I really gained empathy for what it took to sell in our business. I certainly had a deep understanding of the process and the systems and everything that would be required to scale. And uh, so I, I look back at those times really with fondness because that's when I really feel like I grew up a lot. And um, certainly I think that has allowed me as we've scaled the team to have empathy with the reps that we've brought on. And, you know, they said, hey, Dan's been there. He's done this before. He understands it. In fact, he helped build it. Uh, and I think that's really helped me. Haley Katzman shared that her job isn't just to develop pipeline and revenue. It's her job to develop people. In fact, listen to how much of her time is spent advocating for a team to be considered for promoted positions. So you really have to advocate for your people. You have to make sure that you are bringing in great talent, that you are setting them up for success to go into those roles. But then I have, I had and have to do a ton of selling and advocating for those people to go into, you know, those roles. The first one was, you know, moving into, you know, an account executive role, which is, you know, a very, um, you know, obvious kind of path. It's a more common one, if you will. Um, the next was management. Like, why should we take, you know, someone that I brought in as, you know, an account development representative and put them into a manager role with no management experience? And even today, you know, I just had someone move into, you know, our services organization and someone move into sales engineer. Every single time we're paving that new path, I have to go in and um, advocate. Not that necessarily today I'm having to fight for it. I definitely had to fight for it early on. Um, but a large part of it is making sure that, um, me on my end, that I am really identifying the right talent for that role and that I'm actually helping pave that path for them. So it's absolutely a challenge and it's something that, um, I probably spend 20% of my job advocating for people to move into those different career paths and positions. This concept of blending results today with success in the future is a hallmark of the great teams. Sean Murray discussed this with me and talked about how important it is for leaders to engage in ways that create strong organizational health as a result of servant leadership. We have those five elements to create organizational health, which starts at um, trust. 
right? The, it, it, everything seems to be a framework, and I apologize for that. I, I you know, said I'm a nerd. Um, the, the, the bottom layer is trust, right? Is making sure that we have a leadership team at the very top of the company that has trust with each other so that we're able to engage in healthy conflict in order to achieve that buy-in, which will then generate results, right? And so when we think of building and growing SalesLoft, we now have over 300 employees, is that we have established the core values of our company and what we do on a weekly basis as we grow, and it may seem repetitive, we're constantly addressing and talking about the core values of our company. And when we started on day one and ensuring that we hold those true today. And so how do we know if we have established the organizational health that we do have? There are several feedback mechanisms that will, that at least confirm with us that we're on the right track, right? So whether that is on social, we do culture amp surveys frequently. Right, So we're making sure that we're getting feedback from our team because we have a servant leadership attitude within our organization where we serve the company, not the other way around. Right, And so nice. I think of my philosophy towards leadership. Uh, the team doesn't work for me. Yes, I sit on top of the revenue organization, but it's very important that the team realizes and understands that I actually work for them. So it's the other way around. So again, at a very high level, building organizational health is very important and we realize that we have established it based on feedback from our current employees, but it's just that constant communication and reemphasizing why we believe it to be important. And finally, Ryan Levitt summed up what effective engagement means for a leader. It isn't about making all the right moves or calling all the right shots. It's creating an environment where the reps learn to call those shots themselves. Leadership isn't that you get to make all the decisions and you have to make all the decisions. It's that you're teaching and empowering people to be able to make their own decisions and do them in an educated way. That's it. A model of leadership excellence. Want to get in high growth mode and stay there? You'll need a foundation of culture, vision of a big future, systems that create scale, teaching and coaching that create intentional improvement and a level of engagement that ignites, inspires, and infuses every one of your reps with confidence. Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed Volume 2 of the Sales Leadership Podcast Greatest Hits. Special thanks to each of our 11 featured guests. Just like in Volume 1, it was a huge challenge to represent all 11. Each had so many great things to say. I hope you'll go back and dig into these interviews all over again. Volumes 1 and 2 of the Sales Leadership Podcast Greatest Hits introduced you to a model of sales leadership excellence. How you build on the five pillars of high-growth sales leadership will play a big role in your ultimate success. Look to us for ebooks, infographics, and more content on how you can develop competitive strengths in each of these five areas on our podcast website soon. We'll also be providing more material around how you can overcome the seven deadly sins of one-on-one coaching that run rampant in sales organizations around the world. Implementing the practices of high-growth sales leaders and avoiding the seven deadly sins of one-on-one coaching is a recipe for leadership awesomeness. Listen, one of the big lessons I've learned is common knowledge does not equal common practice. We've shared the secrets of the best sales teams with you. These have all been created and implemented by world-class leaders that have achieved amazing results. 
We've helped you identify the building blocks of getting and staying in high growth mode, but how you execute will drive what happens next. My mission is to help every sales leader around the world raise their sales leadership game in 2019. If I can help you with your unique challenges, I hope you'll reach out to me directly at rob at xvoyant.com. Creating this type of an organization is worth the fight. How you lead is your most defensible competitive advantage, and the sooner you implement these elements, the sooner they will be part of what defines you and your team. Special thanks to Haley Katzman, Kyle Norton, Brad Jensen, Sean Murray, Jeff Spencer, Matt Millen, Ryan Levitt, Dan Cook, Michael Barton, Cody Lehmans, and Doug Landis for their contributions to this podcast, and more importantly, to the sales leadership community. You are all killing it, and you are making our profession better. Even more thanks to you, our listeners. If you like what you're hearing, please keep leaving those reviews on your favorite podcast sites. It helps others like you find us. And as we head into the holiday season, we at Exvoyant wish you a happy holiday and remind you, don't worry. Just execute because we've got you. Thanks for joining us for the Sales Leadership Podcast, your weekly pipeline to the most successful thought leaders and rainmakers in sales. Make sure to check out additional episodes at salesleadershippodcast.com. The Sales Leadership Podcast is produced by Brian Jepson and is sponsored by Exploit, the modern sales leadership platform for Salesforce.com users. You can visit Exvoyant at exvoyant.com.